Hey, we're going to be talking education down under. So this is education down under, or I guess, or thunder down under, as we refer to in here in the States. We're going to be talking with Mark Woodland, the CEO of Explore. And I'm going to talk about this in just a minute and come back to him. But before I do that, I'm going to talk about another Australian company that's a real good friend of ours right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hayes. I'm talking about Institute. Now, Institute was born in... Australia. Then they moved to the United States. And these are the guys that do the custom made clothing. They make my style look so great. And I owe it to all the folks at Institute. They specialize in custom tailored menswear for the modern gentleman. That's right. They have the perfect fit guarantee. I send them my measurements and they send me back custom made shirts, custom made jackets, even pants. And I know some people that are getting tuxes and wedding suits and everything else. They start at $4.99 for the suits and the shirts are at $89. I'm so here, guys. Here's what I, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you something for free. Use the code C Suite, that's C S U I T E N Y, C Suite New York, to receive you two free shirts when you spend $499. So that's like $160 bucks right there. Or maybe it's almost $170 bucks right there, $168 to be exact. So there you go. You got to go with that. So I'm talking now in this interview with Mark Woodland. Mark, his story starts with his mother. You're going to hear about this. He was a school teacher. He was in the military, left the military, became a receptionist. Okay. I'm not knocking receptionist. Okay. But became a receptionist. Now he's the CEO of his own company, Explore, and he's changing the way we look at education in Australia. And that's going to move across. I like to spot trends. I think this is the trend that we're going to see. These guys are going to be big. They're changing the way that you do things. I mean, I fill out forms when I go to pick up people or go to the doctor and go to this. And he says, I'm done with that. He's changing it. And so he's taking care of the business. And with the business, you get a better educated student and a more fun experience for the kids. So here we are talking today, right? here on All Business with Mark Woodland of Explore. From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, welcome, Mark. And the first question that I guess I have to have, how did a military guy, and by the way, thank you for your service, even though you're in Australia and I'm in the U.S., I appreciate every veteran in whatever country, and you. And Australia is a good ally, so we love that. But how did a military guy get into the daycare children's education business? It doesn't seem like the normal thing you do. No, no, it was never the plan of attack. It all started with my mother, who was a kindergarten teacher her whole life. And she went through, for lack of a better word, the schooling rank structure and eventually became a principal of a school. And then at the end of her career, she decided to retire and she bought a small childcare center here in Melbourne, the idea that she would be able to teach and mold children for the rest of her life. In theory, really, really cool concept, but she bought the center and quickly realized that 90% of her job was running a business, chasing enrollments, collecting fees, a bunch of administration, and she wasn't teaching as much as she wanted. And this was in 2000. And not, and not doing the stuff that was, was really fun for her, right? No, nah, I mean, her passion was to teach and I'm yet to meet a teacher that studies four or five years and wants to sit behind a desk and do administration. So she wasn't enjoying it. And in 2009, I was listening to my mum, you know, tell me these stories each afternoon while I was in the army. And so I said, look, the best I could do is leave the army and I will be a receptionist. You go and teach and let's try and save this business. So that's what we did. Was the business failing at the time? Wasn't failing, but it wasn't doing anything wonderful. 
Yeah, it wasn't doing what I, I call them conditions of satisfaction, which, you know, in business, I always say you got to make money because building wealth's important. I got to learn new things, which I think is real critical. And then third, I have to do, I have to have fun. You know, those are mine, but it sounds like you guys weren't having fun and you weren't doing the things you really wanted to do. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, yeah. the passion was to educate. And if she wasn't doing that, then she wasn't doing what she really loved. So, yeah. Yeah, what the hell? If you're not doing what you love, I mean, hell, go do something else. At least get paid more money. Yeah, that's it. That's what I'm. I saw a speech that you did, Mark, that kind of got me into it. And this, I like, and there was there was another one that was titled "Relentlessly Pursuit of Better Education" or something along those lines. And since my big theme is think big, act bigger, and the rewards of being relentless, but you described a process where you were checking the kids in every single day filling out the same form the same way. And it just seemed monotonous and just what a waste of freaking time. Is that where you got the idea? Like, man, we got to make this different. Yeah, I would literally sit at the front desk. I was the receptionist. I was in a combat role in the army. I'd left that and I came into this world of education. And, you know, the military is a very regulated place. And for good reason, we we go to war. But the education space is more regulated than the Australian military. And so I'd sit there every day, do the same task. I'd manually enter it into a database and I wasn't enjoying it. So selfishly approached an app developer, said, hey, I've got a crazy idea. What do you think? He loved the idea. He quoted me a stupid amount of money that there's no way I could afford. So I went back to the childcare center, taught myself how to code and wrote the first iteration, which allowed a parent to, using Bluetooth beacons, to walk through the front door of the childcare center and automatically sign in and out without using paper or pens. And then I didn't have to do it. So it was a selfish pursuit but it meant I no longer had to sit at the front desk anymore and I could get up and do other things. So you, first of all, I'm just, uh, there's a couple of things in here that just blow my mind. First of all, you taught yourself to code. How long did that take you to do? And I dare not call myself a coder and my (laughs) teams today are cleaning up my mess that I created, you know, five years ago, but I'm still learning, but to be able to build what I built back then about 12 months. So it took you a while. So during that whole time period, was it frustrating while you're going through that, knowing that you're going to, in the end, you're going to get to a different point, but you're you're still got to do this shit the same old way? Yeah, spot on. And it's that constant drive or hunger or grit or grind. People call it a thousand different things, but how much do you want it? And are you going to get it done? And what does it mean to you? So, you know, it was always going to happen in my mind. It's just how much faster could I make it happen? Yeah. And when did you start to see, you know, say 12 months, but you had to start to see the light come on a little bit before then, because in software we sprint, right? We, we write a little bit, we write a little bit, we change it, we write a little bit. When did you start to see, say, oh man, this is freaking going to work. And you started on my, and I call about, I call it your pee your pants moment where you start getting real excited, you know, <laughs> like I don't even want to go to the bathroom because I, I'm so excited that we're going to get this done. I guess the first iteration before it was all automated was using a iPad because this was in 2010 when the first iPads came out. So I was using an iPad for parents just to write on the screen so they could put their phone number and a pin code on the screen. And yeah, it wasn't automated, but it was digital. So it was saving my time. The next phase of that was to save the parents' time. So it was sort of early days, sort of six months in, you realize, yep, yep, this, this is good. So then, so the other piece of it that I thought was interesting is the beacon, Bluetooth beacons. Yeah. So tell me how that worked. How did you make it work? And then I'm curious to know how much it's changed now. Yeah. 
it's changed dramatically now. But the basic concept of, you know, a beacon is just like the hands-free Bluetooth you have in your car. When you get close to your car, your phone connects. When you move away from your car, it disconnects. It only works in a range. You can't connect your car remotely a few kilometers away. You have to be inside it. This is the whole concept of the beacons, especially for attracting attendance of a child. You need to know they're physically at the center, not in the car park, not walking to school or anything like that. So the beacons were critical in tracking attendance because you can spoof GPS locations and a series of things like that. So beacons were key. That was pretty early days. They've improved dramatically now. People also have phones with far more Bluetooth ability than what they had in sort of 2011. So the technology has improved dramatically. So talk to me about how that works, because I want to talk to our users or listeners in that understanding, did you have to have them download something? And the kids don't have, because the kids don't have the phones, at least I I assume these were young kids. So, and that's a privacy issue, I think, with kids. So that's even more scarier. But so you must have put something on the parent's phone. Was it an app? Yeah. So the parents download the app just off the app store. The, The Bluetooth technology, we use the phone. So the app, accesses the Bluetooth or the location services on the phone. And it's, it's not accessing location services of GPS, it's just Bluetooth. And so when the parent gets close to the Bluetooth signal, it connects with the beacon, it asks them to sign in and out, the parent says yes or no, and it automatically updates the back-end system, which means edge staff and educators today aren't having to manually do it. So parents have the phone and the app, children are just with their mum and dad. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let me take a quick break and I want to come back because I want to talk to you about overcoming behavior and and how difficult was it to get the parents to do it? Because there is a little bit of tracking there and which means I know where they're at. And I'm just kind of curious the questions they ask and the things that they talked about. But before we get to that, I, I want to talk about how we spend our money and how we spend our money in so many different ways and invest in unimportant things. We're certainly having a great conversation with Mark Woodland, the CEO of Explore, as we're talking about software for children and education, but it's time for us to be in to start investing in our most valuable asset, which is ourselves. And so I really encourage my fellow C-suiteers out there to check out the service from Elytra Health. So visit Elytra, E-L-I-T-R-A, health.com and schedule an appointment. So this is where my wife and I, back a few months ago, went to the clinic or went to their service. It's on the spotlight atmosphere, got tested for all kinds of things. And I do know some people who it's altered their life. It certainly changed my life, made me get want to get back into shape and do some certain things so that I'm more healthier. And so I, they run a battery of tests all day long. At the end of the day, I got to sit down with a doctor for a couple of hours, okay? A couple, I said hours, not minutes, hours. And we went through all the charts, all the things. Hey, I found out I got a lot of bones, you know, density, big bone density. I'm very proud of that. So anyway, there are lots of things you find out about yourself because they, they, they touch you and probe you in places you don't touch yourself. So And they give it all these results back in the same place the same day. That's freaking unbelievable because if you know you go anywhere else, I'm telling you, it's weeks and weeks and weeks. And so and then they follow back up a couple weeks later, check in with me, and they've been following up ever since. So go visit Elytra Health. It's going to cost you a little money, but hey, I think you're worth it. All right. So, Mark, I'd like to get back and talk a little bit. How difficult was it to be able to talk the parents into doing this? Yeah, it's incredibly hard. And if you go back sort of 2011, location services and tracking yourself wasn't a big thing. It was still a big, big privacy issue. 
it goes beyond just software and technology. The parents deeply trusted us. They trusted us, one, to look after their children every single day. They trusted us to educate them and they trusted and put a lot of faith in us to be able to do this. So they took a leap of faith in us. We explained what the technology was trying to do. And in fairness, it was actually saving them a lot of heartache. Because when you do sign in attendance with parents in Australia, that's how you get paid your childcare benefits. In, in this country, we have a very high amount of benefits that are paid for, for childcare. So it's important the parents do sign in and out. So it was sort of a double-edged sword for them. They knew the benefit of it. They were uncertain about the technology. But I also think that's part of a tech company's role is sort of drop the arrogance and help and support people through the different technology changes. I got to imagine, Mark, back then people were like, wait, you want to do what? Are you, are you kidding me? There was a little bit of that as opposed to today where everybody goes, okay, how do I do this? Because it's so accepted, right? Yeah. And it was right. And it was explaining very clearly to them that I'm not interested where they go in the afternoon or who they hang out with or what they do at home. Couldn't couldn't bother me one bit. All I want to know is that you're here with your child, you're safely in the center and we can you can safely go to work. So it was explaining the whole purpose of it and the why behind it. I think with anything, once you get down to the why, people understand. So as a developer now and what you're doing, and I want to get into more about the other things that are going to come out of this because it's more than just checking in, right? And without question, it's changing the way that we look at education, the way we serve up education, because I'm going to imagine I'm just going to get predictive and I haven't looked at all your stuff yet, but I can know when they come in, the kid, when the kid comes in, I can start serving up certain kinds of content based on that. Right. I want to get to that in a second because I think that's really cool because I like, it's kind of like I tell people all the time, I like, it's like my bartender at a certain bar. I'm going to go there tonight, by the way, and I'm going to have a dinner. And as soon as I walk in, they will start pouring my scotch. They don't have to ask me. Okay. Now that's kind of what an app does if it really knows you well. All right. So is it today easier to, uh, it certainly overcome the security, but as a developer, is convenience Trump security now? I think between 2012 and, and probably 2015, 2016, I would say yes. With all the changes in the world and everything that's going on and the shift sort of away from social media, I think privacy trumps all of it now, um, especially with some of the things that are happening with Facebook in the world. And I think people are more aware of privacy and I think a younger generation really aren't interested in large groups of people anymore. They've actually gone back to sending text messages between their friends and they have yeah. these small groups. So it's a really cool thing to see. Well, that, that's an interesting. Uh, so I would agree with you that I think we're cocooning back to smaller groups of networks. Yeah. which in the end is about the privacy issue. But I still believe we're willing to let people know a lot about us in order to get the convenience of the stuff that we want to use. Yeah. That's So So do you do you believe it that way? I mean, I, that's the premise I have. I, I totally get what you mean in terms of, hey, I don't need to broadcast this out to 5,000 people, 5,000 friends. I mean, excuse, excuse my language, but who the fuck's got 5,000 friends, really? Yeah, I agree. You know, I'll do it to a shorter amount of people, but I want them to know where I'm at. I want this app to know what my favorite things are. I want you to serve up ads to me that are relevant and not, you know, not anything. So don't you think that's still going to be a a big thing for the future? I do. I think targeted advertising is amazing. I love it deeply. I love logging onto social media and seeing the stuff that I want to see. I think there's nothing better. But I also think we, we have an expectation that we can have that. But to get that type of content, you have to share it with a much bigger audience than just 30, 
15 friends that you might have in your small network. So I think there's a sort of a, a gap there of our expectation of convenience and what it actually takes to have convenience. Like I, I'm a big believer if you think social media is private, you're probably smoking some pretty awesome drugs, but you're on social media with the understanding that it's not private. Um, even as much as we might want it to be. And you sort of got, have to give up something to get that convenience. So convenience comes at a cost. So talk to me about where you're at today. You guys, as I recall, started in a little four-seat place. You started really small. Again, you started with your as a receptionist, your mother's business. And now where I think in Melbourne, you told me you're in Melbourne on Burke Street. You might say it was, I, I would call that Bork Street. You might, you say it's Burke Street. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So what tell me about the size of the company now and what you and where you're at and what the focus is. Yeah, we started off I sold my childcare centers, reinvested that money to build Explore. So we started with four people. Today we've got 48 in the office. So this launched in the middle of 2016. So in a reasonably short amount of time we've grown quite quickly, looking to grow a bit more in the next 6 months might have to move office, we've just moved in. But all good problems to have, and it's just been this crazy growth that we've experienced because, you know, it's it's a lot more now than just attendances. But what I was experiencing in a tiny childcare centre turned out to be the problem the whole of Australia was experiencing in education, as well as the US, as well as the UK, as well as Ireland, Singapore, and Malaysia. So it wasn't just this tiny problem I was facing. So more and more customers came on the platform, and, and we started building out the platform the way we think it should be. Well, and you say you're trying to change education, so how? Yeah, deep believer that our vision is, you know, to relentlessly make education great. And I love the word relentless. I don't think it's a negative word. I just think it's it's a really powerful, it's a great positive word because that's what life is. It's relentless. Get up and do it again and keep pushing. But, you know, the mission of what we're trying to achieve and how we're going to change education or how we're going to make it great is by automating administration, it, it will allow teachers and parents uh, to focus on a child's learning. So our number one goal is to automate all things admin within a school or a childcare center so educators or teachers don't have to do it. And so that's sort of phase one. And we're in phase one now, and we're coming to the end of phase one for us, which is the whole automation piece. So we're all, we've automated attendances. We've automated payroll. We've automated reconciliation with bank accounts. We've automated a whole series of health information that you take on a child. So medication, temperatures, weight, a whole series of different things. And phase... And, and by the way, that stuff wasn't done before. I mean, it just seems like... Hello. I mean, that would be there. I mean, you know, my grandchild, grandchildren, or they go to a daycare center during the day when their parents are working. Yep. I get pictures every day. I get to, I know what they eat. I know what they, whether they pooped, when they peed, when they napped. Yep. Now, now most of that stuff is guy, it's got to be entered in by the daycare provider, the gal, yep. which, but, but what a great, I got to tell you, you know, Mark, what what a great thing as a grandparent to get that because here I am hundreds, actually thousands of miles away from my grandchildren, but I'm connected every single day. But right on. You know, yeah. And, and we see our customers as really three people, which is, you know, in the world of education, a lot of companies, not just software, have the natural tendency to say, you know, we're in education, so we'll put the child first. And they're, they're technically right. We don't do it that way. We're a big believer that if you put the business first, 
and you solve for the business. So make sure they've got great finances. Make sure they can collect enrollments and they're always full. We believe that flows down onto the teacher. So we're solving business issues first. We're solving time. So we sell time back to the educator because you're spot on. They're the ones that have to document all this information. So how do we make that easy? How do we speed that process up? How do we automate it? How do we use voice in a series of things? And then the final piece in the puzzle is the parents and grandparents, and all they want to do is connect. That is it. They want to connect with their children. They want to know they're okay. And in fairness, they want to be involved in their child's learning. It's really simple. So we solve for those three before we even think about the child because we get those three right. Guess who's going to win naturally? The child. So that's sort of how we focus on it instead of child first. It's a bit backwards, but we believe it works. So yeah, you know, none of this existed previously. I mean, you've got the difference with explorers. It's one system to do all of that where, you know, you might get photos or videos, but the center has to use an app for that. They might have to use a different piece of software to do their finance, a different piece of software to do their rostering, a different piece of software to do something else. Five or six different pieces of technology that do the one job. Explore does it all in one. And I assume it's a SaaS model. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 What's fantastic. And so let me then ask you the next question because I'm sitting here, I'm listening to you and I'm, Mark, very impressed. Not that you need to be, uh, have that accolade from me, but look, your mother was, I don't know, what, what'd your dad do? I'm kind of curious. My dad, it's probably a good question. I didn't actually really know my dad super well. He sort of left my family when I was about five. So what I do know, he was an economic advisor. I still don't really know what that means <laughs> to the government. So that's that's really as much as I know about that. Well, sorry to hear about that. And he wasn't involved and hopefully he's sorry for that today. But you seem to have done very well. But like, the reason I ask you that and kind of interesting, he was, he was at least in some way connected to business. But your mother was a school teacher who became a principal. And then was running this business, and then you were in the military. So how the hell did you get this business savviness? Yeah, I still ask myself today that I'm probably the least qualified person in the office. I've got some super smart, amazing team members that are doing crazy things and amazing things each day, and I'm just sit there in awe watching them do it. But and I don't take anything away from business owners or anything like that. But to me, I really think it is just common sense. It's, you know, it's emotional intelligence. It's leadership, 99% of it. And then everything else you can sort of learn. It's not that hard if you can get the basics right. Lead your team, support your team so they can do great things. And that's what business ownership is to me. So from a military background, that was sort of drummed into you from day one. Look out for your teams and and off you go. So to me, that was pretty easy coming into a business and just taking care of the team so they can do great work. That's sort of my principle. It's kind of along the same lines of what you're doing for the business. Take care of the business and the kids get the benefit as well, which is not a bad thing. So what have you, it's interesting. The other thing is it's taken, I've been to Australia probably 150 times and I've had businesses down there, operated business down there. And most Australians are pretty laid back kind of people. I mean, you have a mandatory one month, you got to take a month off kind of thing, which is like in the US is like, what the hell is that about? You know, we don't get that. So you got to earn your vacation, so to speak. But so I take most most Australians and my general belief, not to generalize it at all, yeah. everybody, but you're a little bit more laid back. Okay, I mean maybe maybe it's because you drink beer in the size of kegs and schooners, yeah. right? You know, I don't know. <laughs> but here you're you're a hard charging, aggressive guy. Does that come from the military? Or does that come naturally for you? 
It's a good question, and I always try and figure it out today. I think you've naturally got it. A lot of people can learn it, but it's really at your core. I've always yeah. been competitive, even through schooling and things like that, and always wanted to win, for a lack of a better word. But so, yeah, military's probably enhanced those skills and taught me a lot of things on how to use that and how to focus it and what it really means to impart that skills to team as well. So I think it's I've always had it. If you look right back towards through schooling and things like that, lots of sport, lots of extracurricular or outside of school activities, things like that. But yeah, you're spot on. We are laid back, but it sort of also makes it quite easier for me to be, you know, a bit more aggressive and a little bit different driving the business. Let me just, before we got a couple minutes to wrap up here, but what's the biggest lesson that you've learned so far? It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, thanks for putting me on the spot. Well, you are an education company, so I think it's a fair question to ask. Oh, right? This is a good one. And people sort of, and I will get to your question, but people always said, what, what's the advice you give to people wanting to start up, you know, a startup or start a business? And sort of my advice or biggest lesson I've learned is you really want need to make sure you want to do it. Yeah, You're going to convince 50, 100, 200 people and then a few hundred thousand customers that this is the the software they should get behind or they really get behind your company. You can't give up halfway through even how much you want to or however hard it gets, no one cares. You've got to keep going. And, you know, a lot of smarter people would have stopped because they are a lot smarter than me. You know, I'm lucky because I'm not the smartest guy in the office, which means I can just keep doing things and people look at me and think you're an idiot. And and in fairness, yeah, you're smarter than me. It's probably why you're not doing it. You've, you've made the right decision. I think there's a song, if you're going to be dumb, you've got to be tough. And that's sort of, you've just got to power through it. And you're still a young guy. Would would you, and you got a long ways to go and a lot, you know, a lot of success again in front of you in terms of where you're going to go, because you are so relentless and relentless is the key, in my opinion, no matter what you get up and you, and you go again and again and again. If it was, it's called hard work because it's freaking hard. That's the reason why it's called hard work. Yeah. Would you keep doing it? I mean, if you had to do something again, would you say, no, I do, I'd, I'd go, no, I'd stay in the military. I look back on the military days and every now and then I miss it. Yeah. But I'm not sure if I'm missing the military or I'm missing the incredible people and mates that I made during my time there. So, and then I look at what I'm doing today and wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, I've made mistakes and I'd change different things. So, you know, I wouldn't have to go through that process again. But if it meant the outcome was different and I wouldn't be where I was, uh, I wouldn't change any of it. You know, there's a lot of stuff I've gone through, but would not change it because the people I work with today are all put here for a reason and we're all in the same spot together and would not would not change that. So short answer is no. That's that's absolutely awesome. And I, I love the fact that you've got that esprit de corps with the team. I love the fact that you are making it work every single day. And I'm, I just appreciate people like you who are out there trying to make it better for education every day. Because by the way, education has sucked in this country for a long time and around the world. I say this country being the U.S., East East and Australia, I think they're dual. I just think in the modern world, we've done some things wrong and it's time to change it. So, hey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mark, for being on this show and being a part of all business right here with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. All right, what a great interview that was. And I'm telling you, before I get into the things I like to talk about, and that is what I learned, I want to talk about Liberty Tax because, hey, if you're a freelance worker and you're listening to this show, or you just got your own business, you care about how your income is taxed. So look no further than the professionals at Liberty Tax Service. They got over 4,000 offices in U.S. and Canada and thousands of professionals ready to help and will get you the most accurate return guaranteed. So visit libertytax.com, find the nearest office, or you call me. I will personally put you in touch with the person that stands out and waves. I mean, that's I'll, I'll put you with Miss Liberty herself, okay? But we got some good friends over there and I want you to know. Hey, so what did I learn? I tell you, I thought, one of the best things he brought out in that interview is that it's tough. It's not easy. He makes mistakes. We all make mistakes, but no one died. No one died. And I thought one of the key gems that was in the interview was the mirror moment he talked about, right? When you look in that mirror and nobody cares about your business, but you, and it's tough. And so when people ask you if it's going to be easy, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but the rewards are worth it. My friend, being an entrepreneur, being your own boss, being the king or queen of your domain of the realm of the kingdom that's really cool. And that's what I learned right here today on All Business. And I want you to be a king, queen, princess, prince. I don't care. I'll call you whatever you want. Just listen. And don't forget to tell other people about the show because that's how we get, you know, I get famous and you get great information and you help somebody else learn to do more about their business. So tell them to tune in right here to All Business with Jeffrey it right here on C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.